morning. Welcome to Relevant Faith Church this morning. My name is Mike Womer. I am the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith, and we are excited that you are with us. So this morning, we are going to continue in a series that we started a few weeks ago. Um, it's a summer series that, I, that I've kind of created called The Way I See It. And jokingly, I have shared that you guys get to listen to my opinion on everything for the next eight weeks, but um, it's actually not my opinion on anything. We're just going through the Bible, looking at myths in society, things that society has suggested are true about Christianity and it's all of its aspects, and, um, and then we've been talking truth into some of these myths. And so the first week, we talked about God, very simply God our Father, God the Creator, and myths that people have about God. Last week, we continued and talked about Jesus, the Son of God, and our Savior and Lord, and what, that, what myths are that, pe- that surround Jesus. And today, we are going to talk about the church. If you missed any of these, you can catch them online. Uh, week one is online. Week two did not get online. Uh, that was my mistake. I didn't actually upload it. I did all the work to it, just never hit the upload. So it will be uploaded today with uh, part three as well. But um, this series is designed that it doesn't build on one to another so that because we have traveling families, because we have vacation and 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 there's, and people are coming and missing every, uh, every so often, they're able to just pick right where we are and, and enjoy what God is speaking. So we have, um, we have been, there have been a lot of contrasting common viewpoints that people have, basically how they see God, how they see Jesus, how they see the church. Uh, we're going to be talking about topics like heaven, how they see, how people see heaven. We're going to be talking about race, diversity, unity. We're going to be talking about a lot of different really cool things over the next several weeks that you're going to want to be a part of and experience. Um, and so we've been talking about two key verses the first one being in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, and I, I, I went through this the first couple of weeks. I won't in depth this week, but we used, uh, in the Good News version of the Bible, most versions of the Bible um, have a little bit different translation, but this one is an interesting one, and the Bible says, be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. Now, that, ver- that same passage of scripture in a lot of your translations probably say, guard your heart, because it's, this, it's the source of life or something to that effect. And so why I like this version is simply because when you actually study that, that verse in its context and actually what it means in its original language, it literally means it talks about guarding the way your heart thinks. That you have a heart that thinks, not just feels. And so we talked a little bit about that. And anybody who's been around here long enough or been around me long enough have heard that preaching that you cannot always go by what you feel. You have to go by what you know. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I just don't feel like life. Sometimes I don't feel like taking care of things and responsibilities that I have. Sometimes I don't feel like the presence of God is consuming my life. I don't feel that way, but I know truth because I know what the Word of God says. And so we oftentimes look at the way we think, and then the way we think shapes the way we view the world, but it also shapes the way we view God. And so understanding that about your heart is very important. We talked a little bit about how the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things, and yet it's the one thing that we want to follow more than anything else. And it seemingly contradicts itself because it is deceitful and it is wicked, but it's also something that you have to manage the balance between following after your heart and understanding what is true. And so we talked about truth and truth being very powerful in John chapter 8, verse 32. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. These are the two passages of scripture that we've really been talking about. So we're going to jump into this real quickly into some myths about the church. Okay, today we're going to look at the way people see the church. Now, Let me preface this. I'm going to start out this so that you have this understanding. As we talk about the church, we're going to do it with the understanding that the church really exists in three different parts, okay? And this is something you're going to have to remember in the back of your mind the entire time I preach this message because otherwise you're going to get really frustrated, especially with some of the things that I say concerning the church. So I need you to very, very carefully listen to this. And matter of fact, this is your filter for everything else I'm about to say for the rest of this message. The church exists kind of in three parts. It exists as the individual. Anybody ever heard you are the church, right? Me as a believer in Christ, I am the church. I'm required by God, by his gospel to love God and to love other people. That means, and they say that we will, they will know that we are Christians. They will know that we are believers by the love that they see 
one for another. So I, as an individual, am the church. Now, when we look out over the, the body of Christ, meaning all of you individuals collectively together are the church. We are the body of Christ, and we are the church. So the church exists in an individual, but it also exists in this group of people. And then the third way the church exists is in what I'll call the brick and mortar of the church. The, not necessarily the building, but the place that you come to gather together and worship. These, all three of these parts make up the church. So one of the challenges that we have is we try to separate these very often. Well, I don't go to church because I tried to find a video. We've been doing these videos called uh, street interviews with God, what they think about God and Jesus. And I found a couple about the church, uh, but they, the quality wasn't very good. And then even some of the editing and the way the questions they asked and things really didn't really speak very well of what I was trying to communicate. So I chose not to show one this week. So I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of highlight of some of the things that I've heard over the years of my 20 years in ministry, but also in some of the videos that I have seen. And oftentimes you hear things, and I've heard, I've probably, some of us have probably said them, but I don't really go to church because there are hypocrites in the church. That's why I don't go to church. And while I understand the thought process of there being hypocrites in the church, it's so very true and so very real, but there's hypocrites pretty much everywhere you will ever go. As a matter of fact, if I'm being honest, even about myself, I would not say this necessarily about you, but I will say it about myself. There's probably been a time or two in my life where I have been considered a hypocrite or I would have considered myself a hypocrite, maybe because of the way I say something or way I don't love someone the way that I should or whatever. So, but the idea of not going to church and it's brick and mortar and it's assembly because there's hypocrites, it's like not going to the gym because of the out of shape people. It just doesn't seem to make any sense, you know, because you really, I don't come, I never came to church. Well, that's, I started coming to the church for a person, but I never came to church. Once I gave my life to Christ, I never went to church for the idea of everyone else. I went to church to experience God, to worship in community, because that's what the Bible asks us to do. I mean, the Bible even says, people forsake the assembly of God's people consistently, and it tells us not to do such things. And so when we look at the rest of this message, I want us to think about it as the individual, as the body of Christ collectively, but also as the church itself. This place, considered relevant faith church, is part of the makeup of the church. And so as we, exist, as we explore these myths, we're going to look at it in the context of all three. Because here's the reality. To Jesus, believers and the church are the same. We are the bride of Christ. That's who he says. We are the bride of Christ. So we have to be very, very careful. And I know I've said this before, and I've actually had some feedback from a couple of you in the past how this this phrase that I'm about to say has challenged you, but the idea of the church being the bride of Christ is so important because you have to be very careful how you treat the bride. I know I've been married for 18 years, and I have to be very careful how I treat my bride because she is my wife, and she is my love, and she is my, my, my everything as far as my, my relationship in marriage, and that's the way Christ views his church. So if you bash the church, you got to be careful because it's the, the equivalent of bashing someone's wife. Now, if somebody came up to me and decided they were going to start bashing my wife, could have some, some issues. I could personally have some problems with that. Or if I came to you and was bashing your wife, you'd probably take some, you'd probably get frustrated with me in some type of way. But we do that with the church. So my, my encouragement to you is be careful with how you speak of the church, every church, and the people in the church. Because after all, we're, so, we're going to be known by our love. So if people don't see you loving, then they project that onto the entire church. There are people that don't go to church because they've been mistreated by one person in a church. And their, their language becomes, well, I don't go to church because I was hurt by the church. And typically, most times, it's because somebody in that church hurt them. But Jesus sees believers in the church as one and the same. We, they are closely connected. He calls us the bride. And the way you see the church will affect the way you see Christianity. 
It, it really will. And that's, that's, there's a truth to that. And so in most cases, when you, when, you, when you hear about a lot of these conversations and societal myths about the church, sometimes they're right. To be honest with you, sometimes they're right. Now, sometimes they're not really myths more than they are realities, but not only realities today, but even when Jesus walked the earth, those same realities existed as the way people looked at the church. And the church had turned into something way, uh, way other than what Christ wanted to see it turn into. And the story we're going to look at, the passage of Scripture we're going to look at is in Matthew chapter 23. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture when it comes to the church itself because it's really Jesus talking a lot about the subject of church. And, there's, and if, you, if you get into that in even more context and you think about the life of Christ, there's only two places Jesus ever was. He was, he was actually in the church teaching or he was the church loving. That's the only things that Jesus ever did. When he was lost and his parents were looking for him, he actually said to them, well, where did you think I was? I was in my father's house, right? And so it was almost like a, what are you thinking? Of course I was in church. It's the only place I'd rather be is in church. So that's what he talked about. So here's some reasons why the unchurched or even some church folks who stay away from church Here's some myths. The first one that we're going to talk about really quickly is, this is in your notes as well. I have fill in the blanks for you. But they say the church is boring. The church is boring. Now, I, I can't speak for your experiences, but in my own experiences, I have attended a couple of what I would consider to be have been boring churches where I'd fall asleep or I wasn't getting anything out of it or whatever, but here's what I came to realize, even about those experiences, is most of them were my own issues. I had my own expectations of the way church should be, or the way music should be. I had a conversation with a friend of mine, and he, I asked him, we asked, well, why do you go to the church that you go to? And his response was, well, I like the music. I can't really worship to an old hymn. And I, and I thought, wow, so our worship of God is tied to the type of music that we hear. So our worship and our attending of any kind of church is really tied to whether we are entertained or not. Matter of fact, I watched a couple of those videos and one of the young men on the video said, it's not really entertaining. And so it really casts a light on what's going on in the world. And so Matthew chapter 23, Jesus addresses a lot of these things. And in Matthew chapter 23 and verse number two, I'm going to read verses two through four. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and, and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. So Jesus has already said, okay, here's the church. I'm about to have some conversation with the church. Because the Pharisees, they were the body of Christ. They were not the body of Christ as it existed because they didn't believe the Christ. But they were the church. They were God's church. They were the teachers, the religious rulers. And Jesus is telling them, obey what they say, follow the teaching, but don't look at their lives. Matter of fact, in verse number four of that same passage, it says, they crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. So when people suggest the church is boring, they're looking at it from there's just, there's just too much going on that I struggle with and I can't deal with, and it's a burden to have to go. And so they come up with all these other, and I have a few other excuses that we'll talk about later on that you can, you can work through, especially in some of the circles, because the goal is to connect people to Jesus, and the church, the local church, in my opinion, is the hope of the world. All the other ministries that are out there are fantastic. I mean, parachurch ministries and evangelists and hip-hop artists that come through and worship bands and all these things, they're fantastic and they have a great place. But at the end of the day, they get to kind of what I, do what I call, they get to blow in, they get to blow up, and then they get to blow out. And whatever's left is for the church to disciple, for the church to counsel, for the church to build, for the church, Paul called it equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. That's the church's role. So all the other parachurch organizations and Christian organizations and nonprofits all have their place. They're all fantastic. They all meet a simple part of the gospel or a simple part of the church, but the local church is really the hope of the world today. It's what, where discipleship takes place. It's where love takes place. It's where 
uh, where simple needs are actually met, but the problem becomes, well, it's, it's boring, and I don't enjoy it, and so I don't really want to go. And so the myth is that it's boring, but the reality is, the truth is, that church should be enjoyable. You should come into the presence of God. You should come to the church, and you should enjoy your experience. Some disagree, and they think you need to suffer, and the church needs to be hard, and the church needs to lay down such a policy that makes you consider every single day everything that you do. But the reality is, I don't think that's true. I think it should be a very pleasurable experience. Matter of fact, um, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Nate and I tag team preached this, this, this idea of John chapter 10, where it says a thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Some versions say life to the full. Other versions says life enjoyable. But whatever the case may be, Jesus' goal is to give us a full life. And so it's never to give us a boring life. And people often say, oh, well, I love Jesus, but I don't love his church. Well, the problem with that is Jesus is the church. He established the church. And by saying I love Jesus but don't love the church means I'm not in love with his bride. And let me tell you, church is flawed. Here's why it's flawed. Because you're sitting in it. You want a perfect church? Walk into the building when it's empty. The problem is you walked in, so therefore it's flawed. We are a flawed people. It's part of God's design to use a flawed, broken people to deliver this perfect gospel. Why that's his design, I don't know. But that's his design. And he did nothing but use flawed, broken people to reach the, reach the people for Christ. I mean, just seeing the lineage of Christ itself, you can see so much flaw and so much brokenness. But his goal is that you have this rich and satisfying life. The problem is the rich and satisfying life that, we, that he promises us is not the one full of wealth. It's not the one with big houses and cars and mansions and, and money and ease of pain and ease of life. And I get to walk through life like I'm walking on a cloud and everything's perfect. That's, that's really not his definition of a satisfying life. And the problem is that's what we think it is. So the idea of church, now I'm going to get into, remember, all three aspects of this. Because if the church is boring, what does that say about the people in the church? You see, what I'm, see where I'm going with this? This is all a part of one thing. The church is those three parts made up. That's why even in church, you should be enjoying yourself. In life, doing life, that's why one of the things I love about our church that we do is with the exchange groups that we have in our small group ministry, you get to do life together and have fun. We laugh, we joke, we carry on, we have ourselves a good time even in those small groups because you, God wants us to have a pleasurable life. It's a myth to suggest that church is boring when the church should be an enjoyable experience. The second, another myth that we're going to talk about here for a couple of moments is that the church, now this is where it starts to get a little bit tighter, a little bit more challenging. Some of the things that I might say over the next several points could touch a nerve or step on some toes, but the other myth is that the church is exclusive. A lot of people look at the church and say it's exclusive. And when I remember what I say, don't just wear it down to relevant faith. But us as the body of Christ, individually, corporately, and as a church itself, the myth is that it's exclusive. The challenge is that myth, in a lot of places and a lot of times, is, is actually a reality. And that's an issue. That's part of the, part of the, the rough name the church has in, this, in society today is because there are some that have been exactly that and have been exclusive. What's that mean? That means that people don't feel invited. People don't feel like they're welcome. People walk in and feel like, oh man, there's a bunch of hoops I got to jump through to be a part of this church. And they don't feel like that is, that is okay. Now, when I say that, should there be order in a church? Absolutely, because that's biblical. Should there be, should there be a, a structure in a church? Absolutely. These are all biblical principles. There is authority in the church. All these things are absolutely biblical, but the problem is we take all of this, project it on someone, and say, well, you know what? You're not wearing the right clothes today, so I don't know that you fit in this place here. 
I remember I had just had a conversation this past week. I invited someone to church who I just really felt needed to be there. I just, God, God just had something to speak specifically to their heart, and they needed to be there. And the worry was I don't have clothes to wear. All I have is these sport-type shorts and T-shirts. Okay. We have this idea that I have to come to church dressed a certain way. I remember, I remember one time I, I thought somebody was going to lose their salvation over the idea of the fact that uh, around baseball season I was wearing a baseball cap while I was preaching. They were going to lose their mind. Oh my gosh, the pastor is wearing a hat and he's preaching. That's not okay. We're all going to hell. These are the ideas that people have because they think that it's, it's, you've got to look a certain way, you have to dress a certain way, you have to act a certain way, which is why you hear the statement, here's the statement you hear, well, you know what, when I get my act together, I'll come to church. I'm like, no, come to church and let God get your act together for you while you're there, because if you wait till then, you'll never be there. I don't even know that I have my act together, and I'm preaching. So it's, it's, it, there's this idea that we're exclusive they think the church is all a hierarchy or it's a political thing or it's organized religion. That's the problem. But the reality is, Matthew chapter 23, Jesus addresses this in verses 5 through 7. He says, everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with the scripture verses inside. And they wear robes with extra long tassels. And they love to sit at the head of the table at banquets and in the seats of the honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in marketplaces and to be called rabbi. This is, this is the projection. See, this isn't just a today issue. This is a Jesus time issue. There's this projection of what the church puts on people, and oftentimes it's, it's because of the people in that church. Remember, the church exists in three parts. I'm going to say that over and over and over so you don't forget that. But they, the, the people have this air about them like, hey, chest is puffed up. Look at me. I am righteous. So they come in on a Sunday morning, and you ask the question, well, how you doing? Oh, well, I'm blessed, and I'm highly favored. And I'm thinking to myself, ain't nobody blessed and highly favored every day of the week. Something's got to give. There's got to be some realness. It's interesting. That's, some of you actually enjoy this church for that very reason because there's some realness and the pastor's real. There's others that left the church because I'm too real. And so the people around them are too real. I literally had conversations over the last five years with people who said, I love the church, I love the worship, I love the message, but sometimes you just get a little too real about your struggles, or sometimes some of the people around me just share with me things that they're struggling with, and it's a little too real for me, and I'm like, I can't comprehend this. We are trying to be open and welcoming that you can be flawed and still be loved by God. You can have a, some challenging thoughts in your doctrine and theology and still be loved by God and, and work through those things. But unfortunately, we don't get the opportunity to do that. That's why when people come in, I remember early, early on in the church, I would, oh, I would be out in the lobby. I'd be welcoming people, greeting people. I do that pretty much most every week and every, every week after church. And um, I just, hey, how you doing? My name's Mike. What's your name? And they just introduce themselves and everything. And I remember then I come up and I stand up here. And the only time you'll ever hear me say this is when I stand up here and welcome everyone to church, and my name is Mike Walmer. I'm the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith. That's the only time you'll hear it, because out there, everywhere else, I'm just Mike. And somebody said, well, you should have told me you were the pastor. I was like, why? That's just what I do. Do you go around telling everybody, hey, hi, I'm Mike the banker, or I am I'm Mike the uh, fast food worker, or I am Mike the construction worker, I'm the Mike the concrete man. That's not how we introduce ourselves. I'm Mike the guitar player. That's not how we introduce ourselves, right? My mama named me Mike, so that's my name. But they, it's the idea that all these thoughts and these, this language comes out that makes this place exclusive. Jesus denounced this and said, you've got it all wrong. We're not at all exclusive. Matter of fact, we did it completely opposite of that. Jesus was pure. Jesus was holiness. Jesus was perfection. And Jesus was not afraid to embrace those that weren't. None of us are perfect. None of us ever will see perfection on this side of heaven. But Jesus, who was perfect in this side of heaven, was willing to embrace those that were not perfect. Was willing to embrace those that, that maybe didn't look so nice, or maybe didn't smell so good, or maybe they didn't have the right haircut, or the right job, or the right weren't living in the right neighborhood. But he was willing to get dirty with everyone and embrace everyone. After all, we all came from dirt anyway. 
And so that's, that's the way we should be with one another. His holiness didn't drive people away. It actually drew people to him. It's, we contradict ourselves. The Bible says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And if we're lifting up the name of Jesus, he's going to draw people to him. That's what his holiness does. But our holiness repels people. Why? Because we tell people, well, you're not holy like me, so you don't fit. You don't make the decisions that I make, so you don't fit. Oh, well, you're of a different race, so you don't fit. Or you're of a different class, so you don't fit. Oh, but you're gay. You don't fit. This is what we tell people by the way we act. And we wonder why people think the church is exclusive. If you want to get church right, you have to be accepting. The truth is the church should be accepting. Not accept sin, but create a place where people can figure it out. That's what the church is. I don't accept sin. I don't accept sin as a behavior, as an acceptable way. There is still a room for righteousness. There is still a call to righteousness and holiness and godly living. There is a call for that. I don't accept sin, but how can someone who is walking in sin ever find their way through it if no one will welcome them in? Not just in the doors of the church, but in their own personal lives. I've been, uh, Jesus was questioned, and it's funny, here's, you're going to be questioned for the company that you keep. Jesus was questioned for the company that he kept. You dined with that man? What's wrong with you? You're not holy. That's the problem. We put this projection to say everyone has to look like this. Matter of fact, the Bible absolutely contradicts this. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, the Bible says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. It doesn't say, Come if, it says, Come. Let anyone who hears this say, Come. Let someone, let anyone who is thirsty, Come, let anyone who desires it drink freely from the water of life. Let them come. The spirit and the bride say, come. Doesn't say get things together. Doesn't say put the right clothes on. Doesn't say make sure your tie is tied straight. Make sure you got your wallet out so everybody knows how much money you make. Doesn't say any of those things. It says just come. If you're thirsty, come. If you're hungry, come. That's actually what this nation as the United States of America was founded on, was everyone come. Now we won't let anybody come. There's an issue in our, in our nation that actually is the problem of people. We said, send in all your broken, downtrodden, huddled masses. We will welcome them in with open arms. But instead we're saying, nah, you get out, you get out, you get out. I don't know if you followed along and see what we're doing in this nation but there's issues. And it's not now. It's not this leadership. It's not just this administration. It's been for hundreds of years that this has been going on. We contradicted ourselves when we said you, we wanted you because we set parameters to say what kind of person we wanted. And we didn't just do that in 2018. We did that in the beginning. And that's what the church has done since the beginning. Let me get off that soapbox real quick. That's the challenge with this message. I can jump on so many soapboxes and preach so many different things. The third myth I want to talk to you about this morning is this idea that church is fake. This idea that church is fake. We say, well, there's nothing about the experience that I could relate to. Everything about church was different than real life. Jesus had something to say about this in Matthew chapter 23 as well. In verses 27 through 28, he says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. I mean, Jesus was even suggesting that there's a holiness and a righteousness that must be lived, must be exhibited, must be displayed, but one that's real, one that says... This is what's going on on the inside, not just on the outside. Here's take it or leave it, love it or hate it. The one thing that's consistent about me is I am the same person in my house with my kids that I am on my job at Chick-fil-A and I am in this church today. Doesn't change. You sit down, have a cup of coffee with me, I'm going to be the same person there as I am here, as I am there and I am over there. Sometimes that's really good. Sometimes it's not good at all. But it is the reality. There's nothing inside that's hidden. Matter of fact, I learned that because the Bible is very clear that there's nothing hidden to man. All sin, all life will be made known in the lights of heaven. And I just figure, I don't want to be embarrassed by what's written up there, so I might as just be real here. 
because that's what happens. The church is not necessarily fake. There are some people in the church, just like in the days of Christ, that were fake. But the truth is the church should be authentic. It should be real. It should be relevant, not relevant to society, not relevant to world culture, not relevant to what's hip and new today, but relevant. That's the whole idea. The whole idea of even this church being named Relevant Faith Church was simply because we, I believe that, re, that the faith in Christ and faith in God and righteousness, holiness, purity, loving everyone, loving one another, all these things, giving to God time, talent, treasure, everything was just as real and relevant for today as it was when Jesus established the church in the book of Acts. That's, I believe that, and that's why it's called relevant faith. It's relevant faith, real faith for real life today, just as it was then. So there's, the church should be authentic. Jesus despised anything that boxed man in and God out. That's what he, that's what he did, that's what he came against as the church in Matthew chapter 23. He had no pretense, there's no, no, and here's, this is, this is where it might rub some feet the wrong way, might step on some toes, I mean, the wrong way. And I understand this. I actually am familiar with this. I had a time in this. But it's not a pomp and circumstance. It's not a robes and a special place that he stood. It's not a, I, I've been to churches. I was in a church where the, all the dignitaries, the important people would sit on the stage with the pastor. And I'm thinking, I don't, I don't even want a stage. Because then at that point, I'm placing myself above other people. Now, maybe there is a, there's a need for it so people can see when the building is large enough. But man, it, people put everybody up on the stage to say, hey, look at them. They're pomp and circumstance. Or the, the, you have to cut through all these people to try to get to the pastor because he's so guarded by and, and, and distant from everyone. Or, or service starts and 10 minutes into worship, the pastor's ushered into the auditorium with, in a cloud of 8 to 10 people. That's not the church. Jesus never entered in any building like that. Jesus never entered into the synagogue like that. He never entered into a town like that. The only time he ever entered into a town in any other way other than just a casual stroll was when he was invited into Jerusalem at the Passover. It's the only other time. And even then he rode on a donkey. We put ourselves in these places that suggest that we are, this is real, but that's not real. First Thessalonians very simply says, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. That's being real. That's authentic. When you share your life with someone, that is real. That is authentic. Now, no, I don't go around telling everyone my deepest, darkest secrets and all my greatest fears, but I share a bunch of them because I invite people into my life the same as we should invite one another into our lives. That's what will show relevance. You really want to be someone as the church, whether it's the brick and mortar, it's the corporate body, or you as an individual. You want to be real and authentic. Invite someone into your life. Let them see you for you. Greatest human need, I believe, is to be fully known for who we are and fully loved for who we are. The challenge is we struggle to love each other because we place expectations on each other to say, well, you should act like this in order for me to love you, or you should do this in order for me to love you. And in that case, we violate the greatest commandment in all of Scripture to love God and love one another. Number four, the, myth, the fourth myth I want to talk to you about is that the church is weak. The church is weak. Matthew chapter 23 Verses 37 and 38, the Bible says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned and desolate. People look at the church and they see people running from the church. There are some staggering statistics on the exit of church. Now, numbers change all over the place, but some of them are as simply as like this. Did you know, and, and these numbers change from time to time depending on whose study you look at, but did you know that 4,000 churches close their doors every day, every year? 4,000 churches, brick and mortar churches, close their doors every year. And only 1,000 are planted, and 1,000 churches are planted every year. So there's a 3,000 church drop every year. 
Matter of fact, they say 70%, this is the more frightening one for me, 70% of people 18 to 30 who grew up in church are walking away from Christ by the age of 23. Walking away from the church. And you hear it. You can hear conversations. Ask people, why don't people go to church? One of the videos I asked, the guy said, you know what? I choose to abandon all church but still have faith. And the problem with that is their faith is often grounded in nothing. Grounded in what do I think about what I'm doing? And do I like it? And if it's okay? And if it's okay, then eh, it can't be that bad. There's no structure. There's no foundation. There's no solid truth that faith is grounded in. Everything is just ambiguous. And if it, if it doesn't hurt anybody else, then it's okay. Or if it makes me feel good, then you know what? It can't be that bad. And this is what faith has become because the church has been weak. That's the reality. There are some here, even in here today, that are in desperate situations. Here's the reality. The truth is this. The truth is the church should be powerful. Not just the brick and mortar, not just the corporate gathering, but the individual. The church should be powerful. We allow the struggles of our life And I say we, I'm lumping myself in this just with you. We allow the struggles of our life to determine the strength of our faith. You know, I'm having troubles making ends meet, and financially I'm having a difficult situation, and then I become downtrodden, I become become desperate, I become become just hurting and broken, and I convey that and everything, and then I, my next thing you know, I'm walking around, I got a hand in my pocket, I'm barely taking any steps, my head is hung low, and I'm exhibiting this brokenness of weakness, when in spite of those things, we should walk in power to know that Christ has already undid all of that in my life. And whether I see it, that's why I said it's so important not to follow how you feel, because I can tell you, let me just be real and honest with you, there have been seasons of my life and, and not even all that long ago where I did not feel like preaching. And it's what I love to do. I literally would drive up to this movie theater a time or two and say, God, I need your help because I don't want to talk to nobody today. I want to preach. Maybe that's too real for some of you, but I hope, I hope it's not. But that, that was me. And so I would say, you know, and then I'd take, and then I'd just follow scripture. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not a cool thought. Let me take captive that thought. Submit it to the obedience of Christ. Know that God called me to preach. Know that that's what I have to do because he called me to do it. Now let me go do it. I still didn't feel like it. I just knew I had to. I knew that's what I was supposed to do. I don't always feel like living a life of faith, but I know I have to because that's what God called me to do. I don't feel like being righteous. I don't feel like being holy. I don't feel like exhibiting being like Christ. But because he said that's what I'm supposed to do, I have to do it. I have to do what I know, not always what I feel. Because if you go on what you feel, you're wishy-washy all the way. You end up weak without any power. And demonstration of the Spirit's power is what Christ expects from his believers totally. Individually, corporately, and in the church. Paul said this to the Corinthian church. He says, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. He came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. This is who God is in me, and let me give it to you. All while what? Dealing with a thorn in his flesh. All while what? Ending up in prison. All while all these things happening to Paul, he still said, I'm coming and I'm preaching in a demonstration of the Spirit's power. This is not me. And that's my hope and prayer for my own life is that it ends up being like that. You should be powerful. You have this ability to tap into the most explosive power and all, all known to all, all of man, and that's the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the Bible says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That power that they talk about is dunamis power, which is dynamic. Dynamite is where we get the English word dynamite. It's explosive power. You you have the ability to tap into that every day of your life, not just once in a while. The last myth I'm going to share with you 
is this. A lot of people think that the church is just too formal. Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 9, the Bible says, you hypocrites. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus spoke firmly. It's so funny. Here, I'm going to get on a tiny little soapbox. Let me tell you, one of the things that bothers me about Christianity and about believers in general, all of them, including myself from time to time, is we get so frustrated and mad at each other for calling out inappropriate behavior or calling out sin or calling out these things. And we all celebrate and honor, oh, the love of Jesus. And he was so welcoming and so kind and so loving and so wonderful and so sweet. And he just made people feel like, ah. But he said, he opened up a passage of scripture saying, you hypocrites. That's not, there's nothing that's seemingly loving about that phrase. I mean, how, do I, how would you like it if I came and sat down with you at Starbucks? We had ourselves a cup of coffee. We're sitting down there, and I say, you know what? You're a hypocrite. How many of you would welcome the rest of that conversation? None of you would. I wouldn't even welcome it. I'd be like, whoa, wait a minute. Who are you talking to? But that's, this is, to be like Christ means to be holy, means to be righteous, means to be just, means to be unified, but it also means to call a sin a sin, to call out what's not right. That, now, listen, don't just go up to some random person doing that. That's going to cause you problems. But there's, there are relationships that are formed that give you the opportunity to do so. I wouldn't just go up to some random person and say, man, your sin is disgusting. The Lord sees it, and it is disgusting. I mean, if he told me to say it, I would do it, but... The reality is we build relationship within the body of Christ. We're unified to the point that I can come up to someone and say, you know what? You're acting a little bit selfish. But I can't even do that today. I could. But I'd be preaching to me, my wife, and my kids. That would be the only people that are around. Because nobody wants to hear that. Nobody likes to hear that. And so we have this idea that everything should be welcoming and honest. Welcoming and, and, and inviting means that I agree with everything that you say, and if I don't, then I'm not welcoming, I'm not inviting. But Jesus called them, he said, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Imagine we sit down for a cup of coffee, I tell you you're a hypocrite. I tell you that you, you honor God with your lips, but your heart's nowhere near him, and your worship is fake. Yeah, that'd be like, hey, it was really nice knowing you. Not talking to you any longer. But that's what Jesus did. The reality is the church should be relational. We should have this ability within the church, not just the corporate church, not just the individual church, but the church to, to come with one another with love and with respect to say, you know what? You're being a little bit selfish. And this is why I, I think that. I love you and I, I really want to see you grow in your walk and your faith in Christ, but you're kind of being a little bit selfish and you really don't see. I mean, because honestly, how many of us really actually see our selfishness? We don't. We mask it with righteousness and think, well, what I want is right, so this is the way it should be. That's why I always pray the way I pray. God, when I pray, the, like John the Baptist prayed, I decrease so that you increase. So my preference, my will, my, my desires all decrease because I really do want God and Jesus to run this place and not be clouded by opinion. So, but this is what Jesus goes on to say in, that, in Matthew chapter 7. This is why I know he wants the church to be relational. The greatest exhibition of relational church is found right here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 through 23. I, my prayer is that this, this, this passage of scripture causes you to challenge your own faith the way it does me every time I hear it. It says, many will say to me on that day, that day he's referring to is that great day of his return and judgment. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? That was the question that they would pose to Jesus. He says, he says many. 
He's prophesying. Jesus is speaking to the coming, his last coming, a judgment on this earth. And he says, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? These are people in the church doing the work of Christ. And this is what he says. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me. Think about that. We have this idea, this demonstration that I'm formally going to stand up here and preach the gospel because I'm the pastor and that's my call. And, and this person over here is going to give you a prophetic word because they're a prophet and that's their call. And this evangelist over here is going to compel you to follow Jesus because that's their gift and that's their call. And so on and so forth and all the gifts things of the church. And we're going to do all these things and we're going to cast out demons and we're going to prophesy and we're going to do miraculous things because after all, Jesus even told the church that he would. Greater things than I have done, you will do also. So we told the church. So we're going to be doing the things that Jesus did and he's going to one day say, I tell them plainly, I never knew you. Peace out. That's scary. I don't know about you, but that scares me. That's a little frightening. Because I'm, I, I'm, I'm the church. I'm praying that God casts out demons. I'm praying that God does and performs miraculous things on a regular basis. This is how I know the church is supposed to be relational. This is how I know we're supposed to do life together. Not just say, oh, I was doing life with you, and it was cool until you said that. Now I got to go do life with this person over here. And you'll find ourselves doing that, hopping and hopping and hopping and hopping and hopping, and that's not going to bring the fullness, the joy of Christ in our lives. We're going to constantly be searching and searching and searching. The church should be relational. We should build a relationship with one another in such a way that it edifies Christ and it looks like something that somebody wants to be a part of. It's like, I, I want to be a part of that. Look at what, they love each other. They're different. They look different. They act different. They come from different sides of the track. They have different upbringings. They're different races. They're different ethnic. They're different everything. I, I, and, but they love each other. I want to be a part of that. That should be the church. It's not the church because it's not you. And it's not me. It's not individual. Because this church corporately will never look like God wants it to look because it doesn't look like that individually. It's not the pastor's responsibility to make the church look like this. It's the church's responsibility for the church to look like this. Worship team, you can come. I'm finished. I don't usually end a message that way, but that's all I got. I wondered how this would come out. I wondered how I would feel because I love the church. I do. I love the church. I love every church that there is, both the people individually, corporately, and I love the institution of the church. Relevant Faith Church, Peoria First Assembly, Rock Church, City on a Hill Church, Bethany Baptist Church, Grace Presbyterian Church. Every single Catholic church that's around. I love the church. Because in its conception, in its context, in its idea, it's beautiful. It's, it's dare I say, perfect. That's its intent. That's the desire of Christ for the church to be a place where hurting people can be healed, where broken people can be mended, where faith, the faith journey can be began and walked out with the encouragement of one another, with the love of one another, not the let me it just impose my will, let me not just impose what I think church should look like. Let me tell you, I think the church has gotten it right and wrong in so many ways. And I say this because I absolutely love the church. But there's, there's one specific way I feel like the church has missed it. The church has become a socioeconomic, societal platform. 
let me stand in front of you and tell you why our nation is screwed up. Let me stand in front of you and tell you why the leadership of our nation is so wrong. Let me explain to you all the different things that they have done to exhibit why they're wrong. Let me stand up for justice in the name of Jesus. Let me stand up for unity in the name of Jesus. But the problem is we've not pointed them to Jesus. The church does not exist to be all of these things. The church exists. You and I exist so that we can point people to the cross. Because without pointing people to salvation, without pointing people to the the foundation of who they're supposed to be, the church can never be just. It can never be unified. It can never right what's wrong. It can never reconcile one to another because it's not first reconciled to God. All the activism in the world is fantastic. There are so many things out there that are broken. There's so many systems that are broken. There's so much disunity and so much brokenness and hurting in our nation. There's leadership struggles. There's all kinds of, there's socioeconomic challenges. There's race challenges. There's all kinds of challenges in our nation. But we want to point out all the faults and whose fault it is, but we don't want to point them to Jesus. It's the one thing I will never, ever do is point anybody to anywhere other than Christ. Other than taking up your cross, following Jesus. Because that's where it all starts. That's where the church starts. And this is not just something that you did on that faithful day, whatever your date was. This isn't something I did on December 16th in 1998. This is something I did on July 22nd, 2018. It's something I do every single day. I say, Jesus, I love you and I want to serve you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Speak to my heart and share with me those things that I've grie- done that have grieved your spirit. That's the church pointing people to Jesus. What he does with them after that. It's not my business. That's his business. But pointing them to Jesus is the church's responsibility. I'm passionate about the church. I'm passionate about the body of Christ collectively and the individual. And when we get it right, oh, it's going to be a beautiful thing. And maybe we don't all get it all right on this side of heaven. But the day will come that the church will be perfect when Christ comes back and says, the spirit and the bride say, come. 